The worst question you can ever ask is, how do I have a better marriage? Because it takes two. The best question is, God, how can I be a better husband? How can I be a better wife? What is within my control? That's Dr. Greg Smalley, and he joins us today on Focus on the Family, along with his co-author, Bob Paul, and I'm John Fuller, along with your host, Focus President, Jim Daly. John, I've said it many times, but there is one thing that we are core about, and that's marriage. I mean, that's one of our core things. We want marriages to thrive. We want them to thrive in Christ, ideally. And we do place a high emphasis on the institution of marriage because we believe in it. We believe it's God's design for the family. And uh, I know, hearing from the listeners, they agree. I mean, that's why they're tuning in. They want to get some help. They want to have a better marriage. Gene and I want to do that. We're learning every day, especially it's so fun when I come home and I say, hey, Gene, I've got a great idea. Let's spend 10 minutes an evening together. And she'll say, who did you record with today? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I was wise, but I really get so much wisdom as you do, John, mm-hmm. uh, through listening to the guests that we have the privilege of interviewing. And that's going to be the same today. I'm excited to interview two of our colleagues. Yeah, uh, Greg Smalley and Bob Paul join us. Greg is the vice president of marriage here at Focus on the Family and has been here a number of times. Bob heads up our Hope Restored Marriage Intensives. Together, they have a brand new book called Nine Lies That Will Destroy Your Marriage. Greg and Bob, uh, welcome to Focus. Hey, thank you. It's so good to be with you guys. You've been here a few times, Greg. Bob, this is your first time. First time on the broadcast. Yeah, it's so good to have you. And you're normally out in Missouri at Branson and That's helping couples every day, right? Absolutely. Hope Restored. Absolutely. There and in Georgia and in Michigan. So uh, I'm all over the place for Focus. All right. Um, let me uh, crack this open. You both come from counseling families. You, your parents were in. So, man, how messed up are your families? <laughs> Very. Yeah. I grew up in the home of a guy named Gary Smalley, so kind of one of the original gurus around marriage and family. He was family. so good. Yeah. He was so fun and oh, playful. Just, I mean, I've heard him speak a you know, million times, yeah. and just he's one of the very, very best. Went to be with the Lord about four years ago. Yeah. You know, what's, what I love is in where for me the passion for marriage came from is as a young boy kind of going to watch him and I was enamored with him up on the stage in front of a thousand people I'm like what is happening why is he up there why are they paying to hear him for what I have to do for free but anyways very confusing but people would come up and they would you know literally give me this big hug strangers would come up and hug me and say thank you for sharing your daddy saved our marriage and, and that left such an impression. And as I got older, what really though stood out and why I wanted to follow in his footsteps is because everything that my dad talked about on stage, he really did live out. He wasn't perfect and we had issues, but I tell you, he really, really lived those things out. So it wasn't that, hey, this public persona of him up on stage is one person and then at home, it's a train wreck, a disaster. Thus, I don't want to have anything to do with with God, with ministry. But that wasn't the case. And I was fortunate to have a dad who was consistent and real in who he was on stage is who he was at home. And that's so critical, especially for Christian leaders, for pastors, that what people see is what you are. And uh, I think anything other than that is hypocrisy, actually. So, uh, Bob, how about your experience? You grew up in Southern California. Your mom and dad, I think, were in the counseling area. Yeah, it's interesting, the similarities as we got together uh, and started working. How many years ago was that? It was 21 years ago. Uh, is it was interesting to see the similarities and the difference 
choices. Uh, unlike Greg, I, I, my family was uh, broken. My parents got divorced, uh, I think, before I was a year old, which was a long time ago. And divorce was not normal in those days, not like today. I was kind of an oddball because I went every other weekend to my dad and my stepmom's house because both my parents remarried. And I grew up with two families that were relatively intact. No believers, though, in the bunch. I'm Mm. the only Christian in the whole bunch. And um, my dad and my stepmom along the way became therapists. And because of where we lived in West Los Angeles, they became therapists to the stars. I mean, it was, you know, they they were authors also, which was really interesting and had best-selling books and did radio and television and so forth, but from a secular viewpoint. And as a young, impressionable boy, I was very impressed, kind of idolized my dad and my stepmom for the work they were doing to change people's lives. And what was really kind of interesting, and I see in hindsight how God kind of got hold of me and prepared me even before I knew him, Mm. in that I started having some normal teenage issues with my mother. And I would go to my father and my stepmother, and I would complain about what was going on between you know me and my mom and they decided to help so they started giving me books at like 13 that were psychology <laughs> books like like a book called uh, a parent effectiveness training which i devoured <laughs> and then if you could imagine how horrible this was that's bad I, news i read the book and then i take it to my mom and i say mom you really need to read <laughs> this <laughs> how'd that go down you know she wasn't excited about that but it's funny years later I was already married. I was thumbing through their bookshelf one day, and I found that book with a different book sleeve on it in the bookshelf. <laughs> so I'm assuming she actually read it. But I kept reading those those books, and it started really infiltrating my psyche, and I started learning to think psychologically. No idea that God was preparing me for this work. I really yeah. had no clue, but he was getting me to think differently. All right, let's turn to the the, the book and, and talk about uh, what you've discovered in your practices, etc. One is just marriage in general. Uh, when you look at the culture, there seems to be, because of the, uh, I guess, the divorce rate and people's disillusionment with marriage, the culture generally is pulling back. You have some in the culture saying we need to do away with the nuclear family. I think it's crazy. I think it's the beginning of the problems in the culture that we don't have healthy, intact families. But what's your read of uh, why the culture is pulling back from the institution of the family? Where did the institution come from, and why is it under attack? You know, God created marriage. So man did not. It was God's gift to us, and thus it's a post. And so the evil one, Satan, hates marriage, hates what it stands for. And I really believe a big part of what's going on in our culture right now is that Satan is so committed to destroy marriage because he fears what our marriage could be. When you have a a husband and wife together figuring out how how can we use this gift that God's given us to serve others, to love others. That is one of the most powerful forces on earth. And Satan knows that. And so he's he tries to create chaos. He he wants couples to buy into lies that they start trying to live out that completely then destroys their marriage. And that's what Bob and I See, when couples come in for an intensive, they just, they've bought into lies. They want a great marriage. They, these lies, though, exist, these myths. 
and they don't get them there at all. And I, and I really believe it's because Satan is trying to create the, that chaos because yeah. he fears what we could be. Okay, let's get to the... We're going to try to cover the nine today and tomorrow. I don't know that we'll get to all nine, but let's get to the first one. Uh, in fact, you share the story of Zach and Katie who added to their wedding vows and they lived happily ever after at their ceremony. Uh, that fairy tale idea, that's the first lie. So take a whack at it. You know, it's interesting that um, that whole fairy tale view of marriage has so infiltrated our Western culture for sure. And the idea when you get married is you're hoping that, you know, it starts once upon a time. And certainly the love that I have right now for my spouse has to be leading toward and they all lived happily ever after. And happiness isn't a bad thing. I mean, Frankly, I'm kind of partial to happy, and I prefer more than less. I'm convinced God wants us to be happy. But when you think that happiness is the key, that happiness is the goal, you are so set up because obviously God put us here on purpose with purpose, and there's a cosmic battle that's going on between good and evil. And happiness can't be the primary goal. There's a purpose bigger than happiness. Okay, but but in that, where are we getting those signals? This, the media? What? How come, A, it's not bad to have a bar to be reaching for. I want a happy, joyful marriage. I think that's okay. Where does that break down to where it becomes a lie, Greg? The lie is that my end in mind is to feel happy versus when when I think about my marriage, I think about Aaron and I on this grand adventure. We're on a journey. My goal isn't to be happy. My goal is to journey in this life with Aaron. Through all together. the valleys and the mountains. Through all of that. And because yeah. if, if my goal is happiness, then what happens when we're not happy? What happens when we're in pain and we're frustrated and something's going on? It's so confusing. As Bob said, then maybe it's me. Maybe she's the problem. Versus, <laughs> I wouldn't go there. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say that out loud. I'm just in okay. my mind. I'm thinking that. But what I what I love when when the goal is to be on a journey with my wife. First Corinthians seven twenty eight says that for those who marry, you will face problems. I mean, that's straight out of the Bible. We are going to hit these high times in into where we feel joy and we experience happiness. We're going to hit low moments where there's going to be a lot of pain. Mm. And what I love is that there's no one else on earth that I'd rather be with on this grand adventure, not knowing what's around the next corner, what we're going to face. For me, the goal is growing, is growth not happiness. I want to keep becoming more like Christ. I want to I want to be a better husband. And so my outlook is not happiness, it's growth okay, on this journey. That reality is that's your goal. Sometimes you got to say, "Okay, I don't feel like being a better husband right now." Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and there are, there are plenty of times I'm sure Aaron would say, "Yeah, I experience him that way." And and I'm human, and there are going to be those right. moments, and I'm going to go through those seasons where I'm. It's about me. I'm selfish. I'm prideful. But at the end of the day, I want to keep growing as an individual and as a husband, and having our marriage become a marriage that we are both thrilled with. That, right. So you're that's looking the at target. the trend line of your life. Right. I mean, that's the Christian walk. You right. want that trend line to be improving over right. the course of your life, that more of the fruit of the Spirit is who you are right. over time. All right, uh, Bob, let me throw this one to you, and Greg, you can add on. The second lie, um, 
kind of the equation of marriage and what does it mean. You mentioned that the the typical wedding ceremony, which I'm laughing because Gene and I did this, which is the unity candle. It's beautiful. It It makes sense. It's right out of scripture. I think that, you know, two shall become one. And we did it. We, you know, had two individually lit candles. We lit the one candle, blew the other candles out (laughs) together. It was beautiful. I have a tear in my eye. Yes, I'm glad. Um, (laughs) Why is that a, a lie that the two shall become one? That's right out of scripture. Yeah, that, that part's not a lie. The understanding of what is meant by one is the problem. Okay, give it to me. Okay. So um, when you try and become one with Gene, I've known you guys for a while now. And <laughs> as far as I can see, if oneness, becoming one is your goal, you two are a failure. Because every time I see you, I see still Jim and Gene. You're right. Two. You're not, like... And the problem Attached is, at the hip. You're yeah, not the one, same. One, and one of the biggest problems is, is that that because in English we use the the word one to mean multiple things. In this case, to assume it means the number one, we're set up to fail. We can't become the same as one with our spouse. Oneness scripturally is meant to be unity, oneness in spirit and purpose, not the same. And the other thing is, is that each of us were created by God on purpose with purpose. And each of us have a unique journey together. When you get married, there's me and there's, in my case, Jenny, and there's us. You add a third journey. And what the problem that I see with the unity candle is what you said happens at the end. (laughs) They blow out the individual candles. And when I'm at a wedding... Everything in me wants to stand up and start shouting, which of course would would they be disruptive. Kick, they yeah. want to kick they won't invite you back. How yeah. many weddings we, do we you strap go to? Yeah. into a I, chair? I, I when hate, at a wedding? Because of that kind of stuff, I hate weddings. I feel at the end of a wedding, I want to go up and so, hand on my card and say, "You want to hold on to this?" What's because so you bad about it? I mean, I hear you saying that blowing it out is is signifying that now the old me is gone, and we're we're because just because the marriage becomes the priority. Mar- the marriage becomes the focus. Mm. The individuals then sort of fade away into the background. And all we're saying is that all three have to matter. You, your spouse, and your marriage mm. equally all have to matter and have to be attended to. Well, well I think, and I think the idea is you become selfless, more selfless. It's natural for human beings to be selfish. That's why the Lord said, be more like me. And he is selfless, right? He's giving. And I think that's the construct of it. Can we give more of ourselves to our spouses rather than take? Well, and then you look at the Trinity. All three of our equal importance, all three matter. We have a relationship with all three. That's all we're saying is that yeah. you, me, and our marriage, it has to, all three have to matter. So if you disagree with Greg, make sure you uh, send a note to him here at Focus on the Family. <laughs> that would be great. That has been one of the struggles. I mean, we've been married 35 years now, and, and Dina and I look at each other sometimes, and it's sort of like, why are you so different than me still? And I think we did have a, an element of thinking, you're going to become like me, and I'm going to become like you. And we have. I mean, she's helped me grow immensely. But I'm still me, and uh, there's no getting rid of the fact that she's still her. So what you're saying is celebrate the fact that we are different. That's beautiful. That's the spice of your marriage. Uh, and Bob, you had an example with you and your wife where vacations were, uh, uh, sounded like a terrible thing, which is <laughs> well, horrible. That you're I vacations. love this example. Vacations, here's weddings. A, yeah. Here's a practical way you could work <laughs> yeah. through this. Well, it's be, and it's because we are, John, fundamentally different. And after almost 40 years of marriage, we are still fundamentally Fundamentally different. different. So vacations were a common problem for us because 
my idea of the perfect vacation is hanging out on the beach doing as close to nothing as I possibly can. <laughs> Jenny is a pedal to the metal kind of gal. See everything, do everything. Everything. Okay, we before we go on a trip, we have to go get the AAA guide and, and, <laughs> and see where all the gems are between point A and point B because the more we can do in that amount of time, the better. So it's I good stewardship. Up, Come on. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I end up at a vacation at the end of a vacation feeling like I need a vacation from the vacation. I'm so exhausted. And Jenny goes stir crazy doing it my way. So we were trying to figure out a way to resolve this and we prayerfully found a solution. Let's try this. And what we decided to do, and this is just one way to work through things, but it's where our differences became a blessing. We decided to try on a trip to Yellowstone and Grand Teton. We, we had a road trip for three weeks. It was day on, day off. Day on, day off. The day on, we packed as much in as we possibly can. The day off, we just chilled. And what we found what was so fascinating is that both of us can overdo our part to an extreme. And I can actually underdo to the point of boredom and she can overdo to the point of exhaustion. This turned out to be the best vacation we've ever had. And we, we both ended up refreshed and excited. It was fabulous. Yeah, that's great. That's the way it should work. All right. Uh, a lot of these love lies seem to be laced with some truth. I think we're identifying that, uh, which can make them kind of hard to distinguish. You know, what we talk about with unity and becoming one seems like the right thing. Hopefully people are understanding your definitions and what uh, the concern is. Uh, the third love lie is all you need is love. I want to make sure I attribute that to the Beatles. I think they coined that <laughs> phrase. But uh, what makes that a lie? It sounds so good. All you need is love. Come on, Greg. Yeah. All you need is love. <laughs> I think the problem is is that when it's how people think and define love. So for there's a big group of people that see love as all about that passion, that feeling that they experience, the emotional part of, of love. And you've got another group that when they think about love, it's that decision. I mean, my father wrote one of his best-selling books was Love is a Decision. So there's going to be times you don't feel love and you've got to make that decision. So you find it's kind of those two camps. It's either the focus is on the emotional feeling part of it or the commitment, the decision. And sadly, they completely miss the truth about love, which is God is love. We don't create love. God is love. And when we begin to understand that there's no part of love that I create and generate, it's not about a feeling. It's not just about a commitment. It's understanding that, that my job is actually to keep my heart open so that God, who is love, flows through me. That's one of the best things that we see happen in an intensive is couples begin to really understand that, okay, so maybe part of the problem is that how I view love. Like we get all the time, couples will come in and just say, well, I don't, I don't feel love anymore towards my spouse. And they think that, that's the end right? at that right. point. That's the end of their marriage because the love is gone. Right. And, and I'll tell you, the truth is when I'm sitting in the, the therapist chair at that point, because I understand how love actually works, that's one of the least troubling things anybody can say to me. Because the only reason the love isn't there at that point, since God is love and it all comes from him, is that somehow the top door to their hearts closed right. and the love is not able to come through. Because honestly, if we want to experience the fullness of love for our spouse, all we have to do is ask the Lord to let us see through his eyes mm -hmm. and feel with his heart and it will be there 
in abundance yeah, at that and point. That's the golden nugget right there. I mean, that's what it's all about. Greg, you have a story, and sometimes these things can take on uh, small steps. It doesn't have to be something gigantic, although that's good too. But you had a story about just making the bed. <laughs> I mean, that seems, seems so simple, but it really it, it ministered to Aaron, your wife's heart. Yeah, my, my wife and I have had this ongoing argument over 20 years of marriage, which is, <laughs> why do we make a bed? I love the comedian. I'm with Aaron. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I love the comedian Jim Gaffigan comparing making a bed to taking your shoes off and then tying them. It's like, why? I want to get back into the bed how I, like, how I left it. And so we've just battled that, and I kind of finally went, you know, if you want the bed made, go for it. That That's your choice. Until she had a foot injury and was in a cast. And I walked into our bedroom, and I watched my precious wife in a cast hop around the perimeter of our bed trying to make it. And I said, okay, this is, like, sick. Like, there's <laughs> – okay, seriously, you're going to injure yourself. It's a bed. Let it go. And – in in the course of that discussion, really understanding why that was so important to her and how much that meant to have a bed made, I finally got it. Yeah. And thus, I realized, you know, that that could even be a part of a way that I sacrifice for her, that I invest in my wife, which is really the the fourth lie that we see. Well, I was going to ask you about that exactly, the sacrifice yeah. and the misunderstanding of the definition of what it means. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and describe it. Yeah, I, th- I think how sacrifice becomes a lie is that we really misunderstand that God has created us with such value. And my sacrifice is actually taking this value that God's given me and using it as an asset, as an investment, as a way to invest in my wife. And so recognizing how important that that bed was and having that bed made was for her, it gave me a choice. I mean, I, I could either take this investment that God's given me, me, and actually use that as a way, use the time, use the effort, use the energy that it would take to make the bed every day. And so that day, I told her, I said, okay, I, I get it. Watching you hop around this bed, I get how important this is. I said, from this day forward, I'm doing that. Let me turn the table a little. We're four guys sitting at this table, and I want to represent at least Gene, (laughs) but maybe women listening as well. Because I think women in this perspective, this is tough for them because they believe I, I have to sacrifice who I am for the sake of my marriage and my husband. So let's put it in that context from a woman's perspective, that sense of sacrifice. I gave up my career for the family. I gave up this. Um, speak to the need to kind of put that in perspective, how God sees that and what's healthy and unhealthy. Well, I think giving generously is what sacrifice is about, but it's imperative that we recognize who we are in Christ and that for the gift to be of great value, what's being given must be of great value. So to see yourself as less than in any way actually cheapens the gift when you really get the fullness of who you are and how valuable you are. And then you take that and you invest sacrificially in somebody else. Now you've given something of great value, your time, your energy, your gifts, who you are. And it's imperative that when we sacrifice, when we give sacrificially, it's coming from a place of value, not a place of valuelessness. let me press you a little bit. Okay. So at Hope Restored, you're seeing literally hundreds, thousands of couples. Yes. How do you prevent that root of bitterness from springing up? 
Well, we want everybody that comes to really get who they are in Christ. And we work hard for them to see this is not about you being less than. This is about you being fully who you were created to be. Spread your wings and soar. A great marriage is always one that has room for us to grow into the fullness of who we were created to be and bring all of our gifts to the table. I so appreciate Bob Paul's insights and his passion for marriage. And uh, he and Greg Smalley have really offered some great insights today on Focus on the Family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. Well, I've really learned a lot from today's conversation with Greg and Bob. Couples need to realize that each individual is vitally important to the marriage because we all have great value. Don't sell yourself short. But just as Dr. Bob was saying, be fully who you were created to be and bring that to the table in your marriage. Yes, you'll need to be self-sacrificial with your time, energy, and who you really are, but that's your love gift to your spouse. We have our guest's co-authored book available online at safamily.co.za or you can give us a call to order on 031-716-3300. It's called Nine Lies That Will Destroy Your Marriage. Greg Smalley and Bob Paul identify the lies, explain how they work to destroy marriages, and reveal the truths that not only can improve marriages, but rescue those that are floundering. I also want to invite you to join Greg Smalley and his wife Erin for an online Focus on the Family event called Perfect 10 Marriage. That title has a question mark at the end because we all know there are no perfect marriages. But do join us on the 10th of the 10th, 2020 for some fun and some insight into how you can improve your marriage. This is a global event and we'll get to hear from couples around the world as they share some of their stories around communication, conflict, intimacy and more. I do also want to encourage you to go to our website and take our free marriage assessment so you'll know your growth areas before you join us for Perfect 10 Marriage. You'll find all the info at safamily.co.za. Thanks for listening into today's Focus on the Family. I'm Graham Schnell inviting you to join us for the conclusion of our program with Greg Smalley and Bob Paul tomorrow and we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.